from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 49. Today's show is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts, text expander from Smile, type more with less effort, and Backblaze, online backups made easy. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined today by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hi, Federico. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be back. It is indeed. I'm Mr. Stephen Hackett. Welcome to you, Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, it's good. I agree with Federico's sediment. Sediment? That's what goes at the bottom of a river. Sentiment. Uh, it is good to be back with you. <laughs> After a flying start today. <laughs> uh, everything's everything's weird today. Can I just, can I just share Why? how weird everything... Because it's Thursday, which is weird. Uh, I'm at home. It is a weird day, Thursday in general. Like, um, why is it yeah. in the middle of the week? You know, but it's, it's also the end of the week, sort of. It's strange. Thursday is a weird day. Uh, Thursday it... basically serves no pur- purpose at all. Like, it's not in the middle. It's not the end, but it's also like in the end of the week. Uh, I just yeah. because you think it's going to be the weekend, and then no, you still have Friday to deal with. Yeah. Um, I'm recording in my kitchen, which is uh, strange in every way. Um, are you eating right now? No, I do have some juice though, because my throat hurts. Mm-hmm. But not not eating. I had a muffin before this though. It was good. What was uh, in the muffin? Uh, no gluten and no dairy. I can tell you that. <laughs> <It's> very exciting, <laughs> Stephen. Uh, mm. So just grass and bananas, basically. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> grass banana muffin. Yeah, I can see my backyard. I'm recording on a rig I don't use anymore. It's all very strange. But we're here together, and that's what's important. We always have one constant, even when things are strange, and that's follow-up. It's true, except when I'm gone and then you hold it ransom, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I haven't forgiven you for yet. Uh, we, we have a bunch of follow-up, and we are going to start with Apple Music. Um, Eric on Twitter wrote in and said, basically, hey guys, there is a schedule in Apple Music. Uh, so we're talking, we've been talking a lot about Hey, would it be nice to schedule have a schedule for what's on Beats One, et cetera, et cetera? And I, because I'm not really using any of this stuff very much, I was like, "Oh, we must be morons for not noticing this." But Mike, you would like to defend our honor, I believe. Yep. Well, we've we've referenced that it exists multiple times. That we know that it's there, but it doesn't solve the problem because the schedule only shows like between the next ten and twelve hours of programming, which is not not useful. Uh, completely. I mean, it's great to see what's coming up later, but if you want to know what time, uh, like some of these show, like Ellie Golding's show or the mixtape delivery service, you want to know when when they're on, and they might be a different day in the week. It becomes very difficult to find that out because, as we said before, the Tumblr page is a little bit confusing because sometimes it only shows days and not times. Like it's like there's just these mismatch and like of of different ways of finding out what's on but nothing can really tell you what's going to be live at 4 p.m local time in five days time which is kind of what i want yeah i mean i guess if you're if you're a teenager a 12 hour ads up is fine because yeah. it's n- no big deal for your schedule but when you're an adult you know and you gotta think about responsibilities and work and what you gotta do it'd be nice to have a, like a full week overview of what's coming up so you can plan accordingly yeah. and i don't understand why we can't have just like a simple calendar and we just check any day at, at least give us like an overview of the uh, upcoming three to four days i'm not saying you should 
give us an entire plan for the entire next three weeks because maybe you know stuff changes but at least like a simple calendar for the past for the next three or four days would be very welcome so Stephen, you said you're not using apple music which doesn't surprise me but federico are you happy yes yeah very much yeah, yeah i mean i am I was... too i am too because like so... you know jim jim Dalrymple wrote this piece where mm-hmm. he just ran apple music into the ground because of some mm-hmm. issues that he's having but it seems like a lot of his issues come from the fact that he had a very large music library of his own in the first place mm-hmm. and i don't deny like, i mean reading his piece like i wouldn't want that to happen to me but i'm yes. not having these issues and i'm on the whole pretty happy i did have an issue for like the last week where there was some problem in the uk where there was like a dns issue of some kind it was widely unreported but there was a lot of stuff on the support forums so i couldn't stream any music for like six days and when mm. the when the store when like basically all of apple services went down earlier this week when it came back up it was working again so they did change something um, i wouldn't be surprised if the, everything went down because they had to change something because there seemed to be some sort of issue that was stopping the music from streaming like it just wouldn't stream so i'd click an album and it would just go through all the tracks just go through them all and it would be done in like two seconds but nothing played it was really weird so there are issues but on Mm -hmm. the whole like i'm happy enough with the service all the music i want is there the radio's good when i want to listen to it like i don't have any major problems with it but there are a lot of people that do have issues yeah so let me let me explain my uh, situation because i've been thinking about this uh, like since last night if i were in the same scenario of Jim, you know, you own this large music collection and you're extremely precise, you know, about the songs that come from albums, songs that come from compilations, and you have this history of purchases on the iTunes store. I would be extremely, uh, you know, nitpicky about all the details of my collection. And I totally understand where Jim is coming from. And I did actually encounter an issue with iTunes Match and, and Apple Music a uh, couple of weeks ago uh, I I was I was seeing duplicate tracks in uh, in albums that I that I had in iTunes Match and in Apple Music so I I just deleted iTunes everything from iTunes Match because that was no big deal to me I I signed up for iTunes Match like last year just to try it and I was not depending on iTunes match. Yep. So for what I need, I I, I realize that this may sound crazy to, uh, to some people, not to everyone, but to some people. I don't start listening to music by going to my library first. I either just search because I like an idea pops in my mind. I want to listen to, I don't know, to Oasis today. <laughs> Big surprise. But let's say that I want to listen to an artist. I just go to search and search and start listening. Or I go to the For You section and I get a recommendation and I'm like, yeah. whatever, I want to start listening today. So I don't go to, I don't use like a finder model. I don't go to my library, browse my library and start listening from there. So it's no big deal to me when there's a library issue in Apple Music. I don't know if it makes sense. No, it does. And that this is, I do a kind of a bit of both. Like sometimes I add stuff, but a lot of the time I'm searching as well, or I'm just listening to a playlist or whatever that I find when I go to the For You section. But like I wanted to, to mention it because obviously there are some issues, you know, um, but yeah. I, I'm not having them. Um, and I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's 
I'm not defending it, but I just think it's interesting that we're saying that we still like it, but there, there's a reason that we still like it because we use it in very different ways. Anyway, yeah. uh, Apple Pay UK, I wanted to do this piece of follow-up, Stephen, if that's okay with you. Please. Nathan has written in, um, because I was talking last week about some of the, like, social conventions that we've built up in the UK and I was saying how like we show a card or something to show that we want to use Apple Pay and Nathan wrote in with a great suggestion um it says just something to add about using Apple Pay in the UK I've been using it over the past couple of days and when it comes to paying for something I've now been asking do you have contactless instead of can I pay by card or something similar the person then gets the contactless reader I then get my phone out and can pay for the thing without too much social awkwardness I think that's great that's a great uh, solution because rather than saying I would like to use Apple Pay just say do you have contactless and they'll just get the thing out um, and I have actually seen um, so Nathan then goes on to say uh, I've had a couple of good reactions so far notably someone who went whoa mind blown when he used it and I've seen somebody do it I went to this little bakery uh, that I like to go to sometimes on a Sunday because they make great pizza it, I think even you would like the pizza Federico Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, no, I think you would like it. I've had fantastic Italian pizza. This is nowhere near as good as that, but it's it's very good. I think you would like this. Okay. Um, and he this I was standing next to a guy while he was paying, and he used his watch to pay. And the guy who was serving him was like, "What did you just do?" Was <laughs> <laughs> like, "What is this?" <laughs> and and then everyone started laughing about it, and then the guy celebrated because it worked, and I celebrated with him. So. It was it was a fun experience for everybody involved, but uh, my bank. Do you remember I said about my useless bank? They've now moved their date from the twenty fourth to the twenty eighth. I don't think they're going to get it done in time, so we'll see. <laughs> That's right. Apple uh, announced uh, a handful of additional banks this morning, actually uh, here in the U.S. support it, and I'm still not on it. So uh, <laughs> you're a never going to get tweeted, it, man. A couple people tweeted me. were like, "Oh, hey." Uh, are you are you on this list? I'm like, well, no, I'm not. What I'm starting to think is that your bank and my bank is actually the same, even though my bank has like five branches and it's tiny. Maybe they're secretly owned by your bank. Yeah, there's there's a good chance that that's happening. <laughs> I uh, really I really wanna wanna try Apple Pay. Uh, Sylvia has a has a contactless card, and she's been using it to to buy stuff here in Rome because basically every shop now has a, a contactless reader, and it's so nice. And I, I can only imagine, like with my iPhone or my Apple Watch, it feels so nice when, when you don't need to type any code and, you know, it's so convenient. But I, I wonder if Italy will get, like, Apple Pay support in, like, two years, at least, I guess. I mean, we're always, we always get new stuff last. So, yeah, probably in 2017, I, I will, I will tr- get to try Apple Pay. <laughs> it, it, it is frustrating, I mean... It's when Apple Pay first surfaced, you know, I guess almost a year ago, um, people started using it, started talking about it. And I, I sort of thought that it was overblown. Like, okay, guys, like, like it's cool or whatever, like it's nerdy, but it's, it's like, why, what's all the fuss about? And now that it is rolled out and you can really see not only like the actual benefits, but sort of the soft benefits, Michael, like you're talking about, you know, in the store about, making it quick and everything and having a pizza party with that guy. Um, I do kind of want it, you know? And so it's, I felt silly for kind of mocking part of our community of like, guys, come on. Like, it's not like you don't have to write a 3000 word piece on how you bought it, you know, whatever with Apple pay for the first time. But how <laughs> you celebrated with a stranger at a pizza shop. Hey, balloons came from the ceiling. It was incredible. 
Oh, That's yeah? really exciting. So, mm-hmm. Mike, tell us more about you approaching a stranger at a pizza shop. I didn't approach him. I was standing next to him. Like, I was next in line. Did you make eye contact? Uh, I was talking to the guy. Oh, okay. Just for a moment. Like, we were talking about Apple Pay. Did oh. you tell him about Relay? I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I've no. not yet gone for the guerrilla marketing. Mm. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, so, we're going to talk about backups again. Uh <laughs> Oh really? Uh, we have. <laughs> I really enjoy your your discussion, Stephen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're crazy. You're a crazy man. Um, well, we're gonna talk but, about that. Uh, but I also respect you. Like you know, it's what's the what's the word for when you have an appreciation for someone out of respect, but you also think they're insane. Fear? I think there's probably a German word. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, Stephen, seriously, that it's it's okay. insane what you do, but it's also kind of fascinating. You know? So we're gonna we're going to talk about iCloud and then Dropbox, and then we're gonna talk about you, Federico. Uh, oh, so okay. we had said that iCloud Drive and iCloud itself, you know, th- there's not really a a whole system solution like there is on the Mac with Time Machine, you know. Um, with an iCloud component, right? So I can do Time Machine to a local drive, but my iPad and iPhone can back up to iCloud wherever they are, and it's, it's you know, sort of different, and I get it off-site, et cetera. And we kind of said, well, you know, it'd be cool if something like Time Machine existed on the Mac, but that was iCloud-based. A couple things here. Uh, we've got a, a comment on Twitter from Matt Smith, um, and... Uh, he includes an image which uh, my browser thinks is sensitive information, but it's not. Yeah, I just got that as well when I opened it. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, what have I said on the air? Um, and so he has this little text outline that he sent us as an image um, text shot, as the kids call them. Uh, and, you know, saying that, hey, I get contacts mail, you know, I get Safari history, I get iCloud Drive and iCloud Photos information all back uh, when I signed iCloud on a new machine. Uh, I get music. I get films and TV shows I can re-download from iTunes. Everything's stored in iCloud Drive, which we're going to come back to. Apps from the App Store. Basically, building the case that you could rebuild a system from all these various Apple Cloud services, it, it would not be as fluid as something like Time Machine, where you just plug a drive in and you say, oh, bring my stuff over, and it just does it. It'd be a little more manual, a little more sort of piecing things together, but definitely doable if you're all in on iCloud and Apple Music and iTunes Match and photo library in the cloud and all these other things, you know. And that's sort of where it breaks down for me a little bit. Yes, you could do this, and I haven't done any of this. I use iCloud Drive in exactly like three applications. Like it's not a big use case for me, but it is interesting that you could do it. Where I would not argue with Matt, because I, I mean, this is all true, but where where I would, where my philosophy would differ is this is not simple to recover from like Time Machine. You know, this would be a great like secondary way to do it. And I use iCloud for a lot of this stuff. So, you know, like, yes, my contacts and, and all these other things are elsewhere. But I think this is different than something like Time Machine that, is, that functions only as a backup. And this sort of segues into my point about Dropbox. I, I said as an aside that I don't consider Dropbox as like a primary backup solution because it is like two-way sync. I'm not pushing data 
from me to the backup. Um, I'm pushing my data to something that can think and can do things and make decisions without me. And it's not completely within my control. And so that's sort of where the difference in my mind between sync and backup is, is that I sync can go wrong in many more ways than, than backup can, because it's, it's, you know, bi-directional or if you have multiple machines, multi-directional, um, it's better than nothing, which I think I said, you know, like I would, like if all you have is a MacBook and a Dropbox account, put everything in Dropbox and like it, it is somewhere else. You have gotten, you know, one of the, the one step ahead of people who aren't doing anything, but it's not something that I would feel comfortable with, uh, as my only backup, I guess is what I'm saying. Is cool. everybody dead? Everybody's hung up? No, no, <laughs> yeah. no. I'm just thinking about what you said. Um, I'm backing up my memories to iCloud Drive. That, that's going to go terribly wrong because the next link <laughs> uh, is uh, a little... Uh, it's a little weird. So there's... Um, apparently under certain situations, iCloud Drive doesn't act like something like Dropbox or a regular finder folder. And you can create a situation and it's, this is complicated. You should just go read it. It's in the show notes. Um, but it is possible, possible to get in a situation where you think your stuff is in iCloud drive and it's really not, or that iCloud drive does something unexpected and could generate data loss. And so uh, this links in the show notes, which you can find on the internet, I believe Federico. Yeah, well, people can go to really.fm slash connected slash 49, which is one less than 50. So it's easy to remember. That that uh, thing about the iCloud issue is definitely a thing. I saw it. A bunch of people have seen it. Like it's If you have files in a certain state um, and they're not downloaded, for example, but you can drag them out of a folder and it looks like the file's going to be there, it just disappears. It's a thing that can happen, uh, but Dan Warren on Six Colors, he put a, a piece up, uh, like a little tip about how you can actually use iCloud to sometimes restore some files from a backup. It's kind of weird. It doesn't seem to work all the time, but I put that in the show notes too. So there is a little thing that Dan Warren discovered. So if you do have this issue, you might be in luck. Guys, I, I have many thoughts about backups in iCloud and Dropbox. Can I just confess everything to you too? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's just go. Uh, okay. So I don't backup my Mac anywhere. And don't go crazy. It's because I basically don't use my Mac. And when I do use my Mac twice a week to record with you two uh, the shows, there's nothing locally on my computer that I need to backup. Because Skype, it's Skype. And when I open the web browser, I go to Slack and Google Docs and everything is in the cloud. Messages, there's nothing to back up, mostly because in theory, it syncs with iCloud and sometimes it doesn't. Everything else is in Dropbox. So whether I need to pull down some files like pictures or screenshots or you know, like apps that sync with Dropbox, everything is in there. And I just feel like if my Mac implodes and I'm no longer able to use my Mac and I need to buy a new one because I still need to use Skype to record the shows. And please don't send me follow-up on how to record from an iPad because I cannot do it for many reasons. Primarily because I'll have a heart attack. Yes. So thank you, but no. Um, if I need to, if I ever need to buy a new Mac, there's 
nothing that warrants the the my 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 time spent looking for backup solutions or my money spent on backup solutions because iCloud and Dropbox are fine for what I need. If I were to work more on a Mac and generate local data or documents, I would definitely consider backup solutions. I just don't need them for what I do. That's the first item of my many thoughts. Uh, the second one is, for a long time, I never really trusted iCloud for any sort of sync or backup. And the reason is... It's really simple. It just felt like a black box that didn't give you any sort of control. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why I, I, I use Dropbox for so many things. It's because even if it roughly the same concept, it's something in the cloud that takes care of your stuff. Dropbox gives me an explanation of what's going on. So I can open a web browser or I can open an app and it tells me we have x versions of your file and you can restore this file and you can rest assured that you can always open the web browser go to dropbox.com and you see all the versions of your files and i can show deleted files easily i can share stuff with others and more importantly it works with apps and it works with apps as folders so if i set up a new app with dropbox i can literally just open a folder and i see what the app is doing and for a long time with iCloud, it always felt like you turn it on and you got to pray that it works. And that's, <laughs> you know, that was a problem because I cannot trust uh, this kind of random lottery of files with my important work stuff. The thing is that lately with iCloud Drive and CloudKit, uh, iCloud has become more reliable and there's also new APIs that developers can use to implement file versioning in iCloud. And I am using a bunch of apps that um, expose versions of a file, just like you can see versions of Dropbox or like you can see versions of a file in, in the Finder. And versions make me trust the system more because it, they are a concrete representation of the system working as it's supposed to, because it's saving a copy of a file many times over and it's showing me changes and also with iCloud Drive I can now go on my Mac on my iPhone and iPad in iOS 9 there's an app on my home screen I can go to a web browser and there's like folders and I can browse documents and it's still not the same kind of control that Dropbox gives me uh, because it's only you know app folders now you can also create files but there's some like there's many basic things that iCloud Drive doesn't do such as I'm pretty sure you cannot move a file into a subfolder once it's into a folder. At least I'm not capable of figuring out how to move files into a folder inside a folder. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, like, even but if still, you can do it, the fact that it's not that obvious to you <laughs> exactly. is a problem. So right now, where I'm at is, on my, on my iPhone and iPad, I use iCloud Backup. And, but that's also no big deal. Like, if it stopped working... I just, I feel like I need iCloud Sync and the iCloud service to work reliably more than I need iCloud Backup because I, I rarely need to restore, but I do mm -hmm. need Apple Music. I do need photos to work consistently. Mm -hmm. So that's where I prioritize. And for other 
like right now I'm writing this review of iOS 9 and I started writing this review in a, in an in a, in an app that used iCloud Sync and it worked pretty well but as the more that I was writing the review in there and the more the feeling of anxiety about iCloud started growing inside of me and I felt like what if it's August and I have 12 sections done and suddenly this file disappears and there's nothing that Apple can do. So I just, for as much as I as I was intrigued by that app, I just moved it back into editorial. And as soon as I started writing the article into editorial with Dropbox Sync, I felt safe and warm inside. <laughs> and, and I believe that's because it just gives me the sense of security yeah. that... It can always go wrong because Dropbox can, you know, many things can go wrong in there. But it's never happened before. Yeah, th and this is exact. This is just what I was about to say, right? That it's not about the fact of whether iCloud is better or worse than Dropbox. The problem is we have all had iCloud problems way more than we have Dropbox problems. Yeah. So just your fundamental trust of iCloud is not strong enough yet, and that needs to rebuild over time. Yes, but I wonder if it can be rebuilt if you don't give me all the controls and information that Dropbox yeah. gives me. Yeah. Because it has you can to make start. a nice... It can only start with the with you, feel, you feeling like you're in control again. And for as long as you feel that, like... Dropbox is better. You're yeah. never going to try iCloud seriously anyway, and I'm exactly no. the same. Like for file storage, and I saw I've seen people say, "Oh, I'm all in on iCloud Drive," and I just think mm. that that is just crazy to me. Just Dropbox right. is reliable <laughs> and it works, and I put my files there because I feel safe. I feel like Dropbox is my mother. She would never betray me, and that's exactly how I feel about. Like, I was seriously anxious when I was writing in, in this iCloud app. I was constantly checking if the changes were propagating across devices. That's crazy. I shouldn't have to worry about, is the system working? I should worry about writing and composing my document instead of the system behind the document. So even if iCloud, it's, you know, it works for some stuff. Contacts, mail, photos, Apple Music. That's mostly fine for me. Calendars, of course. That's fine. That's awesome. I love photos and Apple Music. But for this work, cri critical documents and files, it just, I don't feel safe. And there's people who are all in with iCloud Drive. I saw people did it, like deleting the Dropbox client from their iPhones and iPads. And that's awesome. If, you, if it works for you, I just would, uh, I just would be looking over my shoulder every day looking hmm. for the iCloud fail to chase me. And that I don't want to do that. You can't live like yeah. that, man. I, no. I think, I mean, Apple is sort of in the situation, uh, because of itself. I mean, iCloud Drive and the old data and document sync are two different things. And so that's, you know, if you remember like when iWork first added sort of the document syncing, uh, it wasn't very good. And you would go and you would have a keynote or something on your Mac, you go to your iPad, just wouldn't it be there? <laughs> or it would be days old and when you opened it, it would override the new version. I mean, all sorts of issues with that old system. And with iCloud Drive built on top of CloudKit, it does seem objectively better than the old system. But with data loss, it doesn't take 
it doesn't take a lot of that stuff to go wrong before you just distrust it. And once you distrust it, it's really hard to, to revisit. Like I know objectively the iCloud drive is better than what they had in the past, but because I was burned in the past, I'm not going to go back to it because Dropbox is, has always been good. They've always given that control. Uh, you know, things like version history and the sharing and the web interface that is, is actually pretty good. And that's stuff that Apple just isn't going to do because Apple wants to keep things simple. They're not going to add versioning to something when they're also trying to hide the file system. Like those things are just <laughs> inherently at, at opposite ends of the spectrum. And that, that's fine. Uh, I just choose to work the way that Dropbox works because it, it makes yep. sense to me. And so that's, I mean, you say all this stuff about iCloud Drive and, and, and all this stuff, but this is the situation Apple's in because of decisions Apple made. You know, yes, like the, the technology didn't work the way they wanted to. Clearly they didn't launch iCloud, you know, data and document sync thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. Let's go ahead and do it. Like clearly they thought it would work. Um, and it didn't, and it, it kind of blew up. And and so now they're in the situation of, well, philosophically, we're not going to give the complication and control that something like Dropbox gives. But also we're in the situation where people don't trust us because of our past. And like, there's sort of a catch-22 there, at least for users like us. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people out there who use it who have no idea what Dropbox is. Like, oh, I could just use this as built in or whatever. That's great. Um, but for 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 those of us who, you know, kind of uh, operating on a different different scope, different level than sort of the average user, it's it's something that I just I'm not interested in seeing if it works any better. What's even better is that they actually do have a way to do file versioning but they're just giving it as an API to developers and they're not using it in their own iCloud Drive app on, on iOS 9. So they're like, look, we built the technology, but whatever, we don't care. You take <laughs> care of this problem. We don't want to have this problem in our, in our app. And frankly, that's quite, I wouldn't say stupid, but I would say... Peculiar. Peculiar, yes. Not the best way to, to, to you know... <laughs> Make the people who wanna wanna actually, you know, they're, they're, it's it's an interesting dichotomy between we want to make the iPad and iOS nine all about productivity and getting work done, but we give you also this <laughs> file management app that doesn't even let you move files into subfolders and that doesn't expose versions. That's quite interesting, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> right, let's move on. Let's take our first break. This week's episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform that houses over 3,000 on-demand video courses that are there to help you strengthen your skills, your skills in business, your skills in technology, your skills in creativity. You can get yourself a free 10-day trial when you go to lynda.com slash connected. Lender.com is for people that want to learn awesome stuff. It's for people that have problems that need to be solved. It's for people that are curious to learn new things. And it's for people that just want to make awesome stuff happen in their lives. Maybe you listen to the show, you listen to a bunch of tech shows and you want to be an app developer. Lender.com can actually help you not only learn how to code apps, right? They can teach you Xcode. They can teach you Swift. They can teach you the fundamentals of iOS app development. They can then teach you how to do the design that you're going to need. You can learn how to use 
Illustrator and Photoshop to make a great icon. But then you can learn how to turn that app into a business. You can learn marketing fundamentals. You can learn stuff about income tax. You can learn everything. Lynda.com can really help you take something from an idea to a just, just a skill that you have, or maybe even from an idea to a business. And you do this by watching and learning from experts who are super passionate about teaching. They have thousands of video courses that are available on demand that allow you to learn at your own schedule and at your own pace. You can also learn on the go with their Android and iOS apps, so you can watch a video about logic on the bus if you like. And then you can also create and save playlists of courses that you want to watch. You can customize your learning path this way by watching them in any order, and you're also able to share these with friends, colleagues, and team members. They also have this great transcript feature, so you can you can follow along as somebody's teaching to you with the great videos, and you can read what they're saying and what they're up to, so you don't lose track. But then you can also search these transcripts later, so you can jump to a point in the video to refresh yourself with something. Your Lynda.com membership is going to give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for just one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, go ahead and visit Lynda.com connected that's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash connected and sign up for your free 10-day trial this will also really help support the show so go check them out thank you so much linda.com for their help today and for supporting relay fm so we we learned this week that if you want to have widespread policy change at apple you just need federico to get mad about it <laughs> no <laughs> that is all it takes i mean I, I find in general that like if if anything needs to happen you just let federico get yeah. mad about it federico could you get mad about my grass growing so i don't have to mow it every week you <laughs> can just you just write an me? article about it please it'd be really great mm. uh so what happened in the newest ios 9 beta yeah you can no longer leave reviews on the app store um, on the ios app store on the ios app store and you can still leave star ratings. You can no longer leave the review, the, the text comment. Um, when you do, you try to write a review, you sign in with your App Store account, and you're given this new error message that says you cannot leave reviews on a pre-release version of iOS. And I would point out that the spelling of pre-release, it's kind of weird because there's no... <laughs> Anyway, um, write an uh, article about it. Get them to change no, it. No, <laughs> you're you're me. That's what happened. That was yes, that, the that's way all you your feel fault, about that Steven. is the Seriously. way I feel about so many things. <laughs> yes, yes, I realize that's a that's a, a, a Stevenism that I that I don't wanna that I don't wanna have. Um, anyway, um, that that's a that's a good change because since the first um, iOS nine beta. Um, and especially this year that there's a public beta of iOS in addition to a public beta of OS X, um, users were able to leave reviews on the App Store saying, this app doesn't work on, on, on iOS 9 yet, so one star, you're a bad developer, and you make a bad app, and you should feel bad. Um, that's not, you know, that's not the best, the best way to go about it. because, And this is where people are surprisingly split on this topic. In practice, so I'm going to give you the truth and then I'm going to give you what other people say, which is not, I believe, the truth. <laughs> the truth is that during an iOS beta, you cannot compile an app against the new SDK. You can make fixes sort of by working 
thinking around, about the future, yeah, working around, around the stuff. issue. So yeah. there's iOS 9, there's a problem. And you try to fix that problem by putting code into your iOS 8 app and hoping that, you know, that sort of pro- problem will go away also in iOS 9. So it's a workaround. And there's many, many reasons why this type of so quote-unquote solution is not, in fact, a solution. Uh, for example, there's many betas of iOS 9 and stuff changes. So your workaround, which you spend hours and hours trying to think about and implement, may break in like two weeks. And the, the basic truth is that to avoid issues with a new version of iOS, you should be able to compile your app directly against the SDK of that version of iOS. And that's not possible during iOS or OS 10 betas because Apple opens up submissions for uh, new SDKs on the App Store like usually two to three weeks before the launch of a new OS. And so it, it's not fair. It's simply not fair to developers to leave a review mentioning an issue on a beta of iOS 9 when the developers can do anything about it. And I agree with the fact that you shouldn't be able to compile against iOS 9 now because you will definitely get people that abuse that and release apps or try to release apps and things will slip through with iOS 9 features, which you shouldn't be doing until September. Yeah. And what the uh, some other people argue is that because installing betas is now so popular and so of an expectation among not just developers, but users, also because there's a public beta, that developers should be aware of the fact that people are going to install their apps on a beta version of iOS, and therefore, if your app crashes on a beta of iOS 9, it's your your fault, and you should be getting a one-star review because you deserve it. And that's so, let me just say, that's so stupid as an argument, like it doesn't actually make any sense. First, the, ex- the so-called expectation of using a beta, it's a, absolutely a false statement. There's no way people like my mother or my friends are going to install an iOS beta because there's an expectation that they're supposed to try it during the summer. That's something that the tech nerds would say to justify the fact that their favorite app is not working yet and they don't have the patience to wait for the developer to ship a fix in September. And the problem is that while there's no expectation in normal people to try a, even a public beta, people don't want to try betas. People don't want their iPhones to break. People just want September to come, but they don't want to try betas. And the problem is that the consequence of leaving a review actually makes an impact on normal people. Because when they go to the app store and they want to try or download an app and they read the reviews, that's a practical problem that they come across. Someone else saying this app is broken. Now, these people don't know the details of what does it mean that it's broken on an iOS beta? What does it mean that it crashes on launch? Because these tech nerds always like to leave very detailed reviews of the problem on the app store. And the normal people just come across this review and they're like, yeah, this app has problems. I, I don't care. And so they're they're coming from a perspective that's totally exclusive to them. This uh, presumable expectation of trying apps on a beta, and they leave a consequence. They leave they leave an issue that's for everyone to worry about. So it is good to see Apple making this type of change on the App Store, and 
even if it's not a complete, you know, even if it's not a complete fix for for what's actually going on. And because you can still, you can still, I believe, leave reviews on, on, on iTunes. Uh, you can still, of course, uh, there's no solution for OS X El Capitan because um, there's no dialogue, there's no error when you try to leave a review on the Mac App Store on OS X 10, 10, 11. And they only ship a fix on, on iOS 9 Beta 4 and Public Beta 2 for the iPhone iPad, and iPod Touch. So it is better and it is the mm-hmm. right thing to do. I just wish that Apple would also sort of sort of create a culture among you know developers and nerds just like by having an, an an explanation in the FAQ section of the website don't leave reviews or maybe why you can't leave reviews on a, on a pre-release version of iOS because they just put up a dialogue without an explanation we know why they made this change and i don't want to believe that it was my article because it was like a series of tweets and and you it know it was a big thoughts. thing that happened like lots of people were talking about it like we're making yeah, jokes but like obviously you you contributed to it along with many other people that were making a a, a big thing about this time, whilst people always complain about it, the difference this time is there is a much wider public beta, which, as I, I, I agree with you about the normal like normal people thing, but th- what they've done is they've opened it up for people that are tech-inclined as well to install this, you know? Like, people that are familiar with technology, like technology, to tinker around with it, you know? Um, and I think that's where the problems have, have arisen, uh, that you know, I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's it's people that like technology, follow technology, follow Apple, but aren't in tune with the developer community that we that we kind of uh, are inside of. You know, like basically just we everybody has sympathy for app developers in the little community of people that listen to the show and stuff like that. But there is a wider community of people that are interested in technology that don't care about that part, and they're the people that are installing the beta and then leaving these reviews. That's why Apple should explain why they can. Oh, no they definitely review. should. They definitely should. Doing this is the is definitely a right step, right? Cutting it off, just yes. cutting it off at the source. But there should be a little why button, and you click it, and it takes yeah. you out to a page on Apple.com that explains why, rather than just like nope. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's the right step, but there's still some some place that can, can that they can go with this. I think. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a technical explanation that that explains what an SDK is or what a what an Xcode submission for an app is. Just say third party apps are gonna have problems because yeah. the, the, your favorite beta, apps you're using a beta, they're still not ready, so you cannot leave a review because what you experience is not representative of the truth or the actual reality for most people on the App Store. Just, you know, like a sentence. It doesn't need to be a manual. <laughs> it, it does feel a little rushed. I mean, they just throw up a dialogue and you can't do it. And like you said, it's it's even if you're running one iOS 9 device and you're on your iPad, for instance, and your iPhone is iOS 8, you can leave reviews on your iPhone, so it, it, it seems to be checking your iOS version, it, it's not doing anything to your Apple ID, so you can go to iTunes, uh, the store itself, and, and even leave reviews there, and like you said, uh, developers on the Mac have been upset that this didn't come to El Capitan, which got, uh, the beta got an update the same day iOS did, so they could have added it both places, I, th- I think that Apple just forgets the Mac App Store exists, and they're like, oh yeah, we have another one of those things. Um, no one uses it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> email Mike. So the uh, the 
I agree with you guys. I think I think that it would be nice for them to fill this out a little bit of kind of explaining why. Use it as a not just a dialogue box that looks like an error, but use it as an educational thing of like, you know, hey, this is kind of what the deal is right now. You signed up for this. Like, <laughs> these are things that come with it. Um, and it, it is, I mean, uh, you know, we, we're in a unique position because all three of us are, are friends with uh, lots of app developers. And I know from their perspective, it, it's it's frustrating and harmful to get those reviews, but it, it's frustrating not to be able to push updates out. Um, and that's just the, the nature of the beast that when you have people running a version of your operating system that's not released to the general public. There, there are these periods of uh, stress and sort of awkwardness almost, right? That maybe your most impassioned customers, you know, if your app is nerdy are on iOS nine, you know, you might, you might have a large percentage of your users on the beta for some types of apps and you can't do anything about that. You can try to sneak in fixes if it's, if it's even possible. Uh, Maybe that's something that, to fix it against iOS 9 breaks it in iOS 8 or not even possible in iOS 8. So there's there's all these little edge cases that developers have to deal with. And I, for one, don't envy that. Um, thankfully, MP3s play on what, any version of iOS. That's that's the extent of what I have to worry about. But it, there is this, this period of, of unusual, you know, circumstances. And iOS is... Uh, as far as we can tell, will always be an annual cycle. And so you, you are going to have three months out of the year where, you, you know, you got to deal with this. And, you know, July, August, and September are going to be this way. Um, I don't think Apple's going to, like, stop doing the public beta next year. I think it will only continue. So I think Apple's got to look at best ways to um, protect developers from bad reviews they're, they're not gonna there's no way like i said there's no way to, to you know fix your application in, in any way that makes any sense but uh, i think some safeguards like this in a more robust way would only be welcomed by the development community yep this is a great start i think yeah absolutely right should we take a second break yes so this episode is brought to you by Backblaze. We've been talking about backups for the last couple of weeks. Um, so this is definitely the time to think about it. You want to make sure that you are always connected with your files and you can back them up with Backblaze online backup and then you're going to feel safe in knowing that they're safe and accessible to you at any time. Um, I mentioned last week, and, and I do, I really mean it, not just because Backblaze are a sponsor. They are the system that I use. Um, I love Backblaze. I've been a user of them since the first time that, I, that they sponsored us, and they sent me a, a trial, and I tried it out, and I really, really loved it, and now I'm a happy, happy member. Um, if for some reason you haven't yet sorted out your own online backup strategy, there's no time like the present to get it sorted, and you should be using Backblaze. I, as I said, I used to not backup. I used to think it wasn't important. But then once I started using Backblaze, I could see how easy it was. And it, it was basically just a case of I just install it. It will take a while to upload because I have a slow internet connection. But once it's there, it's there. And now every day, the new stuff that I'm adding just gets uploaded. And it's not a ton of stuff, so it gets done easily. And I have everything in Backblaze now. So I just have the peace of mind that I don't need to worry about it anymore. Like With these things, it's not just about... like 
accidents that you can have. Like, for example, when I poured a glass of liquid into my laptop and it died, there are things that are like out of your control that can get you into trouble. Stuff like computer crashes, stolen hard drives, disasters of some stuff, even forgotten files can leave you in a sticky situation. Um, so, like, for example, sometimes I've deleted a file that I didn't mean to, or I've been on the road and I needed a file, and I've actually used the Backblaze iOS app, and I can log in and grab what I need, and, and, and I can, like, on my iPhone even, or on my iPad, and then I can open it up in pages or something like that and use the file that I need. It's really cool because it's like I've just got this entire file system there just in case I left something on my desktop or something like that. Uh, Backblaze was actually founded by ex-Apple engineers, and their app works great on your Mac or even on your PC. It encrypts and uploads all your data and makes it available online and in their apps, as I just mentioned. Backblaze stores over 150 petabytes of data and has actually restored over 10 billion files for their customers. You can very easily restore one file or all your files with their web restore system. 25% of all restores that Backblaze has performed over its history are just for that one file. It's super simple and it means that you'll never lose that important presentation again. But if you need everything back quickly, you can even order a USB hard drive from Backblaze and they'll just send it to you. You can get a risk-free, no credit card required trial by going to backblaze.com connected. There are no add-ons or gimmicks. It's a full trial and the real deal. And after that, it is only $5 a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled online backup and peace of mind. If you're listening to this and you still aren't using Backblaze, take my advice and change this right now. Go and check them out at backblaze.com connected. Thank you so much to Backblaze for their support of this episode. So there were new iPods last week. Um, <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> well, I mean, it's the year of now for you, right? Mm. You it's bought one. Now. You bought a shuffle. So they release all these... Uh... Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, Stephen bought an, a new iPod shuffle. What, the picture from last night on Twitter was a real yeah. new shuffle? So and it's I have... Why? <laughs> I've had a second-gen shuffle since they came out. I worked at the store. They gave them to employees. And... Uh, uh, mm. You keep sabotaging your future, Stephen. I, I uh, enjoy working out with a shuffle... Um, a good bit, and my second gen has been dying for a while now. It doesn't hold charge anymore, and so I, it's been like it has never gone into my to do list. But I'm like, oh yeah, I need to replace that because um, I'm going to start running again. I'm going to run a race uh, at the end of the year, and I should prepare for that. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pick up a shuffle. And when they refreshed them, it reminded me, oh yeah, I should go ahead and replace that. Uh, it's the exact same shuffle I could have bought for the last like seven years because they've never updated them. Um, but, uh, it was just, a, oh yeah, I, I should do that. Cause I'm getting ready to start training. Now I have to have a sidebar. Yes. To the hundreds of people who wrote into me, it felt like I do have an Apple watch and okay. yes, I could yes. just stream Bluetooth audio, um, from the watch. But the, my problem is, and I've tried two pairs and I am open to recommendations on what I should try next. I've tried like the Jaybird X uh, Bluetooth earbuds, and I've tried the Powerbeats. Uh, I've got them right here. The Powerbeats, they got a little over-the-ear thing. Um, and I really don't care for either, for for a, a couple of reasons. Neither of them are extremely comfortable to me. The Powerbeats go over your ear, and I wear glasses, uh, or if I'm outside, prescription sunglasses, and they, they don't really work well with that. Um and I have not found a pair of Bluetooth earbuds that you can comfortably only use one of them in because most of these things, they sort of 
are tethered to your head at your ears and they use that to balance. So, uh, if I, if I toss one earbud out, which I'm, I'm, I will often do if I'm riding my bike around the neighborhood or if I'm running so I can hear traffic, uh, the, they don't, they like fly around and fall out. I haven't, neither of the pairs that I have really work well in that situation. And so I just haven't found any that I, that really work for the way that they work for me. Like it's great. And that I can stream music from my watch. I have a playlist loaded on my watch, which took like 19 hours to sync over, but I haven't found earbuds that I really care for at this point. So shuffle, I can plug earpods in. I can tuck one in my shirt and I can, I can go. So the power beats, do they go in your ear? Uh, they do. I can't, Um, I hate, I hate the one they go in the ear. The ear pods is as much as I can do. Well, they're they're similar to that. I mean, they're, they're not, drastically uh, uh, the the earbud piece is like an earpod basically but then the body of it goes up over your ear right now the jaybirds like they got these little rubber wing things and they they actually like clip into your ear yeah, itself and kind of hold in with pressure i didn't Ugh. like those either for that reason because i feel claustrophobic almost mm-hmm. um and both of them sound fine like none of these things sound great but it's it neither of them are really have worked for me yet I must have, like, one of my ears must be, like, misshapen on the inside because I've used a bunch of these types of headphones and they always fall out of my right ear. Like, I've never had a pair that I could use that that didn't just fall out. I mean, I had, like, uh, these foam ones once, uh, which did work because you just squeeze the foam up and then it looks like, um, what do you call when you want to sleep? What are those things, the foam things you put in your ears? Ear. Uh, You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Earplugs. They're kind of like earplugs. But the problem is, like, you know, the foam in the ear kind of gets a bit gross after a while. So, mm. yeah, then they're, they're not great. I mean, I've Federico, you use the Jaybirds, right? Yeah, yeah. And what do you think of those? They're fine for yeah. me. Yeah, but they, they work pretty well, yeah. I guess. I think that this is definitely a personal taste thing and yeah. just like comf- yeah. comfort, like what you're comfortable with. Um, but I've never found Bluetooth headphones that work for me. But the whole point of this is, Stephen, it, you know, people ask, people say like, why are they still making these products, right? Like, what is the point of them? Stephen is the reason. So you can either blame <laughs> him or thank him. It's true. And so there, and that's kind of brings me to what I really want to talk about. Um, there's a link uh, in the show notes. Um Really interesting article by Matthew Birch, Birchler. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, and he he has a lot of experience in retail, and kind of talks about I think at a Target and talking about who buys iPods just in his experience. So it's not a scientific survey, but a really interesting look at who is buying these things. You know, my experience in retail now is quite out of date and you know i mean i started at the apple store in the ipod like the ipod holiday like uh little corner of the store you'd go in you buy an ipod then you'd leave like it was roped off because people were just streaming in buying ipods those days are over clearly um but you know talks about ipod touches being sold for the very young so like kids and then, like the very old who who don't want an, an iPhone, don't want to pay for it, or can't or can't afford it for some reason, or just don't want it. Um, and then, kind of the same thing with the uh, the Nano. You know, it's sort of the ends of the market, um, and not like the the average everyday consumer 
probably has a smartphone at this point. And even though it might not be an iPhone, it can play music. And th- that's the smartphone is what killed the iPod more than anything, of course. But just and a really interesting look at that. Um, I enjoyed this article a good bit. It's the iPod thing is just so interesting to me because I just wonder how long we're gonna have them. Uh, I mean, I I would have guessed the Nano would have gone away. I think I think we had talked about that when this was rumored. Um, and the, the Nano is still around. It's like the shuffle just got updated colors. Um, the Nano still is a really gross, like uh, really weird uh, user interface. John Gruber says that there's no one left at Apple who's working on that project, so they just slapped a new color on it and kept selling it. Um, you know, the, the Touch, though, the, the iPod Touch is really, if any of this is interesting, the iPod Touch is the most interesting because it got the A8. So it's 64-bit now. It is more or less the same device as an iPhone 6. The camera's not as good. It's not clocked quite as fast, but... It was on a, what an A5, so like, much better. And and if you're if you're buying one of these for like your eight year old to play games on, uh, it's way better than it was last week. Way better. Um, and the cheap model has a camera now. The, the old cheap one, like the one that you have, Mike, you you got the cheap one, no, like without a camera. Like it's a weird, weird little device. Um, so uh, the iPod Touch, I think, is what's most interesting. They gave it such a big update. Um, and I'm sure it'll sit for, for another two years, you know, so by the time the iPhones are on the A10 or A11, it will be complaining that this iPod Touch is old and outdated again. But, Federico, you're going to buy a new iPod? You should get one of those nanos, you relive the iOS six days. What do you think? I think yes. <laughs> am I, I going to get an iPod, Mike? I think you will. I think you will. I don't know why the nano, I, I don't understand the nano's existence. The shuffle yeah. I understand... Um, for weird people like Steven. The iPod Touch, I understand, for like the low-end iOS market. Um, but the, the, I don't get the Nano, man. I, the, the Touch and the Shuffle make sense to me, but the Nano, I just don't understand it. It's the cheapest iPod with the display. I mean, I mean that, that, that's true, but if you're looking at why people use them, like the Nano, I wrote about this like years ago when they first went to the touchscreen. Uh, the Nano is terrible to run with, or terrible to work out with, because you you can't you can't do it by feel. You know, with with a shuffle, you can just reach over and feel where you are and, and hit a button. With a watch or with the iPhone, you have Siri. Even the iPod Touch, you have uh, Siri. But the Nano's got none of that. Like <laughs> you're just like punching blindly at a piece of tiny piece of glass, trying to see what happens. Um, this is probably something that I only I noticed. Just a little fact maybe could be interesting. I do have some friends who have an iPhone and they're young people in their 20s. So it's not old people. Um, So it's like you guys. No. So I have some friends who have an iPhone and they also have an iPod. One of these cheap like Nanos and the Shuffle. And the reason why they do this is because their iPhone's storage is full with pictures and videos, and they don't want to pay for Spotify or... Now, I don't know if they want to pay for Apple Music or not. Because they don't want to pay a subscription. And because they do have these, basically, pirate music from their computers, they just use the iPod to listen to music, and they keep everything else on the phone, because of, like pictures and videos you can only do on the phone. 
and they use the iPod as an iPod uh, because they don't want to pay the 10 euros each month for the music service. Now, it could be that my friends are like, they don't, it's an, it's an exception, you know, but I do believe that, you know, there, there must be some other young people who don't want to pay a subscription every month. And maybe they're crazy, but I've seen like at least three to four people do this in the past year. So it must be not that absurd for, you know, for a specific segment of Italian people, at least. <laughs> That's the market they're going for. Yes. They yeah. want 20-something Italians. That's, yes. That is a lucrative You walk market. in the iPod office. Okay, so picture this. You're at Apple. You're in the iPod development office. Uh, it is a cardboard table, you know, like a folding table folding chair one guy in the sleep and asleep in the corner and on the there's a framed picture of federico's friends on the wall that's <laughs> all it is it's keeping him in business man yeah they should be they should be thankful to my friends all right let's talk about apple results but before we do that let's take our third and final break for this week's episode and i want to thank text expander from smile today for helping support this week's show. If you ever need to type the same sentences, phrases, or even words on a regular basis, then you need Text Expander in your life. It's going to save you time and effort by helping you expand short abbreviations into frequently used text or even pictures. And with a new Yosemite look and feel, Text Expander 5 is here now to help you type even faster than ever before because Text Expander will now make suggestions of frequently typed phrases to abbreviate for you and save time. So Text Expander will remind you of missed opportunities to use your abbreviations while you're typing. Let's say, for example, you automatically finish every email and you say, uh, kind regards from Mike. If you just keep typing that over and over again, you probably wouldn't say Mike. You'd probably use your own name. Um, but you could use Mike if you want to. Uh, it's gonna, Text Expander is going to pop up with a little notification and say, hi, you not that I'm going to say hi, but you're using this a bunch. You're saying kind regards from Mike a bunch. Should we turn that into an abbreviation for you? And you click it and it will help you set that up. So in future, you could just, for example, type KKI and then it will do it all for you. If you ever have to frequently fill in forms with the same information as well, Text Expander can also make this really simple by helping you create a fill-in snippet. So in just a couple of keystrokes, you can fill in a form that may have taken you minutes before. So let's say you want to fill in like shipping information and payment information, that kind of stuff. You can do it very, very easily with a text expander fill-in snippet. You can sync your snippets amongst multiple devices by storing them on iCloud Drive or Dropbox. So you can have them on your Mac, you can have them on your iPhone or on your iPad because they have text expander for iOS as well, um, as well as many of the apps that support the text expander snippets inside of their applications like Omni Outliner, Day One, Fantastical 2, Drafts, all of these apps have your text expander snippets built right in. It's very easy to connect them. And they also have an iOS custom keyboard, so you can use your text expander snippets wherever you want as well. Text expander 5 for the Mac also adds support for JavaScript, which also works in text expander touch for the iPad and iPhone as well. Text expander 5 costs just $44.95. Upgrades are available for $19.95 US for existing users, and it's free to those who purchase on or after January 1st, 2015. You can find out more about Text Expander 5 by visiting smilesoftware.com slash connected. Please note Text Expander 5 requires Yosemite and Text Expander for iOS is available on the App Store for iPhone and iPad. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. So we had, um, well not we, Apple had their results uh, a couple of days ago, which is why we're recording today. Um but I believe before we get into that, Stephen has some very pressing follow-up on iPod controls. Real-time iPod 
control follow-up because the chat room was yelling at me during the ad read. You can control an iPod Nano with buttons. There's a long button on the side, pause, forward, back. So for the four iPod Nano owners out there, I apologize. You don't have to write me. You're a disgrace. You control it. It doesn't wow. feel like wow. a like a like a heartfelt apology, Steve. No. It doesn't feel like you really mean it. It feels like you're just giving lip service. It's just it's just <laughs> terrible. Quarterly so, results. Apple's results. Uh so I mean overall things are good, right? It was another another record quarter for Q three, right? I'm right in thinking that. Yeah. So it was another record quarter for Apple. Uh, everything was looking good, uh, except iPad. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, there's some great articles that I'm going to include in the show notes today. Um, Jason had a great piece on Macworld, where he was giving some of his takeaways of the Q3 earnings. Um, obviously, Federico had a ton of great um, charts, as he does so beautifully. So thank you to that, Federico. Uh, there was a couple of things that I wanted to touch on from some of the stuff that I've read about this uh, from what Jason had written, and then we can maybe talk a little bit in general and then talk about iPad. So uh, these are a couple of things that I'm going to quote Jason from his Macworld piece. Um, Cook also said, this is in regards to the Apple Watch, chain, uh, that the change in Apple's other products accounting line from last quarter to this quarter shouldn't be the source of estimates about the size of the Apple Watch market. Many people have been guessing that the jump, there was like a what a 100% jump or something like that. What was it in the uh, yes. other category? So yeah. people have been using that to try and work out how many Apple Watches have been sold. But because the aggregate balance of the category is shrinking, in other words, although other is up $952 million from last quarter, um, that there's other parts of it as well. So some of the other parts of other are dropping. So it's very confusing, but it's basically... Uh, because Apple, for whatever reason, which does seem a bit weird, won't uh, report anything specifically about Apple Watch numbers, they decided that beforehand, people have to try and kind of read the tea leaves in this whole others category to try and work out how many Apple Watches have been sold. But it seems like that it's basically not possible to do. But it looks like it's been in the millions, I suppose. It yeah. should be a billion-dollar business already. That's what's, what most people are saying, at least. And also what Luca Maestri hinted at in, a, in an interview, I think, with the Financial Times or someone else. So it's already bigger than other businesses in the tech industry, that's for sure. And we got to wonder, because Cook said, we sold, mo this is the biggest area of, uh, you know, discussion uh, among people this week is, Cook said, we sold more Apple Watches in June than in April and May. And it's not clear if Cook's statement uh, reflects the actual charging of the credit card in June for people who actually bought it in uh, months before, or if it's really Apple Watches ordered and processed in June. I tend to believe that what Cook says, it's exactly what he says that they sold more apple watches in june because you know it, uh, it became more popular they also expanded to more countries and it became now available in the stores in right? the retail stores yeah. so i tend to believe what he says is what he says but some people are kind of again reading tea leaves and saying yeah because the, there was these uh slice uh 
report with some data on on Apple Watch sales from April and May, and maybe that's still true. If you think that what Cook says, that's some serious, you know, it's worse than people making theories on on the first season of True Detective last year, <laughs> almost. So I believe they actually sold more Apple Watches in June, and that's about it. Well, whatever it is, they sold a few million of them. Yes, which seems yes. like a pretty big number. Like it's a it's a good number. I think the problem that many people have, and it is the thing that I find weird about it, is like why aren't they reporting the numbers in its own category? Like, are they being cautious? Like, it, you know, when you add this level of um, confusion this is exactly in, what they want. Yeah, they add a level of confusion in and then it makes people question it. I know that the people that do this stuff at Apple are smarter than me and this is obviously the plan, but it's it just it's all weird, right? Cuz you don't you have no idea. But it seems like Tim Cook is saying that there's going to that they're expecting the final quarter like the the holiday quarter to be huge for the Apple Watch. So I guess we'll see what happens. But, you know, fundamentally, the product has been a success. I mean, it hasn't taken the world by storm yet, but um, it is clearly at these numbers that the Apple Watch is a success for Apple. Yeah, they said months ago that they didn't want the competition to know yep. exactly how well the, the or badly the, the Apple Watch is doing. So Yeah, so so they, they lumped it in. Um... Other. Yeah. Which I did yep, a terrible exactly. job of explaining a moment ago but i think i've we've been able to clear it up together um another thing that i find interesting that apple more than doubled its china revenue in this quarter mm-hmm. um compared to the same quarter a year ago like the growth in china is insane yeah it's just it's just the thing it's happening like and you can't ignore it yeah it's bigger than europe and cook believes that it's it is sometime in the future he said it is going to be apple's largest market I wonder what happens when that happens. Yeah, there's many questions at play here because does it mean that Apple starts to make software and hardware that prioritizes like the taste and culture of China? Not that I'm not okay with it. It's just different, different from, from what it, it is now. It's an American company that found success in China. What happens when China becomes the biggest market? Does it? I don't believe it turns into China. You know what I'm saying? It's not a. Yeah. It's not about. Well, you know, it's, it's like the roots say, of the company are American. Let's say China is the biggest market, and then they have a restriction on the amount of X product that they can release. Would they go China first? I know it seems strange, right? Because it's just not the way that we yeah, expect exactly. it. But maybe they would. Like, there's no reason to say that they wouldn't, and that is just very different. And you gotta wonder when a company already makes all of their products in China, if China is also the biggest market, it kind of makes sense to have China as the first country where a new product is released. Because your logistical costs have just disappeared. Yeah. So you it's know? an interesting world, man. The next next five to ten years, because especially with Cook in charge, right? Because he's this is where his brain works on this type of stuff. So it's it's very I I think that this is something to keep an eye on, but let's talk about the iPad. Now, Federico, okay. will you allow me to make um, a statement? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can say whatever you want. It's your show. It's your show. Um, because previously, me and you, uh, earnings time, we have we have arguments about this. No, I don't want to have any more arguments. No, because I, I this is the thing. I don't think we're going to today. 
Okay. I want to make my statement. So, looking at the numbers, it is undeniable that it looks even worse for the iPad right yeah. now. It's yes. down year on year by 18%. This is the lowest sales of any quarter in three years. Um, clearly, right now, the iPad and its current guys are stagnated and or mm-hmm. interest is waning in customers to buy new models. Like mm-hmm. that, That is an undeniable fact now. However... Still bigger than the Mac, but... <laughs> Still bigger than the Mac, that is also a fact. <laughs> However, uh, I believe, I believe, personally that iOS 9 and the upcoming refreshment that we're, we're going to get for the iPads this year, which will probably include an iPad Pro, whatever that will be, I yeah. think will actually do a lot to kickstart interest in the device again because they will create more utility and the split-screen stuff is going to give Apple a new marketing reason for yes. the product because they will yeah. actually be able to say a thing that it does, that only it does on iOS, yeah. and that makes it stand out against iOS. I mean, may, maybe Apple can use it to make it stand out against other tablets, even though there are other tablets that do this stuff, but Apple's marketing team's very good, right? So they'll show why the iPad is better than anything else. Um, and I think that this will actually be the jolt that the iPad needs. And my prediction now is that holiday quarter sales will increase on year on year, not fall again. That is a yeah. bold statement to make, but I think that holiday quarter... Uh, for like the Q4 holiday quarter or whatever it is when it ends up being it's very confusing I think that iPad sales will be up on the previous quarter yeah I agree every time I show uh, iOS 9 on the iPad to people they go oh that that's that's insane and and a lot of people need a reason to use an iPad don't need a reason to own an iPad because they want an iPad but every time they try to do something a little more complex than looking at a web page or writing an email in full screen, they go, yeah, I need a computer. And multitasking for, you know, for these kind of people, it's a really smart decision. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a nice implementation, of course. And so I, I agree with you, Mike. Uh, it, it's, it's undeniable that it's, it hasn't been doing well, especially compared to not necessarily it's been doing well compared to the Mac and other products similar products in the industry but considering where the iPad came from yeah. it's been slowing down and that's yeah, just all, numbers. all of the problem is against itself yes exactly because you and know we said this this gets said every time that's a lot of money massive business on its own yes a company could exist around the revenues generated just by the iPad but the problem is when Apple as a company continues to grow in every area, but they have one product that isn't, and that product is actively developed, marketed, promoted. If that product continues to fall, then it is a cause for concern. But I do think, like looking at iOS 9, this is the most focus they've given this product since it was released. What we are saying is that iOS 9 can generate a new novelty effect on the iPad, Mm -hmm. and that it can get people curious about the iPad again. And I agree totally with you. And also, it's not just multitasking. It's that in many, there are many other details in iOS 9 that feel like Apple is truly ready to make iOS 9 on the iPad different. It's not just a bigger iPhone version anymore. It is in many ways, but not as 
much as before. And you can see this with multitasking, you can see this with the new uh, notification center, which is new widget design, uh, the, the new keyboard shortcuts. It truly feels like they're saying, yeah, we neglected the iPad for many years and now we we want to take advantage of this screen in a way that doesn't require us to think about the same for the iPhone because it has to be the same. And that that's a, that's a great decision, I think. Stephen, what do you think? I mean, something, uh, something that's unique to Apple. Um, I wrote a little bit about it yesterday where Apple has the sales data, right? They, they've got bar graphs just like we do. They understand what's going on with the product and the market. And unlike a, an OEM that's running Android or Windows, they control the software directly. And so Apple can come in and say, look, you know, we... Um, we want to do all these features on the iPad, and, and those features are, I mean, all the features on iOS 9 for the iPad are great, and using an iPad Air 2 on the beta has been really nice. I was using the picture-in-picture picture just last night, watching a video and taking some notes for something, and uh, it, for the way that I use my iPad, it's it's a, a, big, a big improvement. So Apple can look at the iPad and say, look, we want new features, um, and they can they can implement those features not only for the feature's sake itself, because Apple does want to make really good products, but they're making these features to make the iPad more attractive to a certain type of user. And that's a unique position for the company that their competitors don't have most of the time. And I I agree with the two of you guys. I think I'm hopeful that it will work. I don't know if I'm willing to... Um, uh, agree about the the holiday quarter. We'll, we'll see if I'm the odd man out on that on that bet, but I do think it will help. And I think that things like the split view, which are available only on the Air Two, and then you know whatever comes next, I think that will help drive um, adoption of 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 newer iPads. I mean, every time we talk about this, we get email from people saying, "Yeah, I'm on an iPad 2. And it's great. Like it's not the fastest thing in the world, but I can get everything that I need to do done. It, it, and the the slow upgrade cycle in the market is is a side effect of Apple supporting pretty old devices at this point. I mean, the iPad two was what twenty eleven. You know, they just got rid of that iPad Mini that was basically the same the same machine but smaller. And uh, that's sort of a you know Apple's got to support old stuff for, to keep their users happy but they're doing it at the expense of upgrades. And I think that iOS 9 will not only make current iPads better, but I think it will make new iPads more attractive. And that is a sort of a one-two punch that they can deliver. And I think it'll work. Um, I don't think it's ever going to retain the level of sales it had at the beginning. When the iPad first came out, it was just, it was crazy. It's the fastest selling tech product for a while. And that I think is has come and gone, but I think they can get it back to a level that is better than where it is now. I think they can sustain it. I mean, you're always going to have dips and valleys. The iPhone does the same thing. If the iPhone um, this quarter is always the worst quarter for iPhones because the fall quarter is coming when they release new ones, they're always going to have that sort of pacing and rhythm because Apple's business is very paced. Every you, know, you can basically set your set your clock by when they're going to release new products. But uh, I think they can leverage the software to make a bigger difference this time around. And I think it's smart. And I think it's, I mean, why not try, right? Like, why not make your product better in specific ways that make it more marketable as well? 
Do we want to take outside bets on when we're going to see the iPad refresh? Federica? October. You think October, Stephen? Federica, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. What about uh, what about the iPhone event? Because they're not gonna they're not gonna show off a new Apple Watch most likely. Um, yeah, that's what I was getting yeah. ready to say. I mean, I think I think the alternative is they they collapse their fall events back into one. I think they're gonna do that. That's my bet. Is that in September we see iPhones and iPads? Really? And then, yeah, I do because I think. I mean, the iPhone six and six plus got fourteen minutes on stage in September. And so to expand that back out to an hour long event, it, like for, I don't know how the, you do it for the S revision. So that's that's my right. my thought. Is there they unless unless they, they have a TV, TV in the wings? TV could be it. I mean, they they will tend to now. I think always double up the iPhone event with something else because the iPhone event gets all the eyeballs and then they can show off the other product. I think that's a right. smart like one two punch. Which if the iPad is the push this year, maybe September is iPad and iPhone. You know, share the spotlight with the phone, and then the TV is in the fall. I don't think we're going to see any Apple Watch hardware this year, so I think you could see the the TV being in October. But Apple TV, excuse me. But um, who knows, man? I mean, everything is crazy right now. Like, there's there's all sorts of weird questions about what they're going to do with the iPhone. Period. And like, how do you take two products and turn it into one in the mid range? And there's a lot of interesting things that could happen this fall. Um, but my guess is that a big part of their thought process right now is how do we get the most spotlight on the iPad, especially if there's a Pro, um, especially if the Mini, which has been very popular, gets back on track with the with the Air. You know, right now the Air Two has an it has a better processor than the Mini. Actually, the iPod Touch has a better processor than the. The high-end iPad Mini right now. Yeah, and the Air Two has the more RAM as well, which is one yeah, of itself a great feature. Right. So like, I want to go back to a world where the Air and the Mini are the same thing. I think that was really successful. Everybody seemed really excited about it. Um, all three of us have left in the last year have left the iPad Mini and gone back to the back to the full size iPad, which is interesting. That was a good decision, by the way. I think it was yeah, a great decision. Out. I love my <laughs> iPad so much. Yeah, <laughs> I really do love it again. Um. So so I think that's uh my gut says that the the iPad will share the stage with the iPhone, if anything, to get some of that bleed-over attention, if they've got something good to announce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I almost wanted to make a joke about new iPods in September, but then I remember... <laughs> <The> music event! <laughs> <laughs> then, then, I, then I remember what happened. And uh, it, it, it could be. It just seems strange to me to have... Uh, Probably new iPhones and iPads released to the public so you can buy them close to each other. Because in the past two years, it's been like a month. There's a window between these two products coming out. They might show them in September and sell them in October. But but they get the marketing spotlight. But it doesn't matter because the iPad isn't selling. right? The reason they don't do that with the iPhone is because they can't take the drop in sales, or they don't want to take the drop in sales. But the iPad's not selling anyway. You get the the spotlight on the iPad because it's with the iPhone event. What if they do an event for the iPad and iBooks Author? (laughs) Everyone will be asleep. I I mean, iBooks Author just got a couple updates, and you know they made a big push. um, What was it? Right before the iPad 2 was announced, they did that uh, book event in New York City. And like that's the last time iBooks author got or iBooks the iBook store really got a lot of attention on stage. I mean, I think it's one of those businesses that is there and they care about, but 
I think I think I don't think they're going to re- resolve textbooks with a bigger iPad. You know what? I'm going to tell you what the iPhone event is going to is going to go okay along with. Uh-oh. New Beats. That's a really I, good bet. How do I end the Skype call? <laughs> no. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, New Beats products could be a very interesting thing if they're working on something. Right. Yeah, and they haven't mm. done anything with that. Like nope. the beat stuff is just on the store, and in some ways, I well, feel like Apple is part of Apple's a little embarrassed by it. Like they don't ever talk about it. Um, there's that recall thing for like the speaker that looks like a dude that apparently can burn your house down. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the the only thing that they have done actually is they color match their products now. So. Yeah. The, the Beats Studio headphones you can get in silver, gold, and space gray, and those little in-air ones, I can't remember what they're called. I don't think it's the Power Beats. They're in all the same colors as their sport watches. Can I just say that I... This is going <laughs> to make so many people angry. I love my Beats Studio wireless so Nothing much. Nothing wrong with that, man. I don't like, know. Some people are really, really yeah. like emotional about liking Beats products. They sound great. They're super comfortable. They're super convenient. The battery lasts like 12 hours, and I just love them. I'm, I'm well, wearing them all the time. Beats do not make the best headphones in the world for audio quality. I don't know how to recognize great Me audio. That's the thing. So I'm with you. <laughs> if you think that they are comfortable and the battery lasts and you like how they look, there's exactly. nothing wrong with it. Nothing. Yeah. Sorry, Marco. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just can't recognize a great bass from a from a what's the like a like a mid-range whatever i trust marco and i believe him i just don't have the you know the special ear you don't have the special ear no okay on that i think we're gonna wrap up thank you so much for listening to this week's episode if you want to find our show notes i'll tell you again where they are they're at relay.fm slash connected slash 49 thanks again to our sponsors this week lindo.com backblaze and tech expander help support this show by supporting our sponsors if you want to catch up with us online you can find federico's work over at maxstories.net and he is at vitici v-i-t-i-c-c-i on twitter Stephen writes at 512pixels.net and he is at ISMH on Twitter and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Connected and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.